I'm Michael Scavola. This is Inside Prison Walls, where we take a look at issues Kansas prisons face and get first-hand accounts of what prison life is like. Produced by the Hutchinson News. Luis Gutierrez used to lie to other inmates about why he was in prison. He finally embraced it towards the end of his sentence. Sitting in a cell one night, while roommates held mirrors through the bars to watch for corrections officers, he began tattooing on his left hand a man with his head hanging low. He drew a black cloud above the man with the words, forgive me. I put it here in my hand to always remind me, you know, of what I've done and what I need to do to, to, to be a better person. And that's why, I mean, it's always in plain sight. You can't hide it. But it's a reminder to me, you know, to, to stay on the right path. It's the same cloud Gutierrez still feels from time to time today. He took a life, a friend's life, and he paid for it with a life sentence. Gutierrez's first lesson in tattooing happened in his backyard in San Jose during a neighborhood party. He was nine. There was a guy that just got out of prison tattooing on guys in our backyard. He told me that if I listened to him, that he would teach me everything he knew. So he taught me how to make the prison-style tattoo machines. That's, um, we had a Walkman motor, and I, I learned how to make one. And, but I had to tattoo on plastic, like these water bottles, the plastic. Um, and I didn't understand it because I wanted to be a tattoo artist. I don't want to tattoo on plastic. And what, at the time, what I didn't realize, he was teaching me depth perception. And what that it means is if you press the machine too hard down on, the, on this plastic bottle, it's going to bog down. He said, imagine if you're doing that on plastic, what you're going to do to someone's skin. And at, like I said, at the time, I didn't realize it. But now, as, as I got older and more experienced, I started like, oh, wow. You know, he was teaching me a good lesson here. He about two weeks after, you know, him teaching me all these lessons, he finally gave me the OK to tattoo on him. And I did this little gangster on his arm. And everyone was just ooing and on. They couldn't believe that this little kid did that tattoo. And he told me, all right, you're free to tattoo on whoever you want. I want to say that was like on a Friday. By Sunday morning, my mom's phone was ringing off the hook because I had tattooed on all my little friends, the neighborhood on their faces, on their necks. The main call he remembered was for putting NSSJ for Northside San Jose above a young girl's eyebrows. The letters were popular in the gang neighborhood. And, and your son just tattooed on my daughter's face. And I got in some trouble for that. But I tell you what, my entire life changed after that. Um, I used to tattoo for candy, for hamburgers. <laughs> um, I was a, a little fifth and sixth grader getting invited to high school parties. Um, I started making my own money then. And, and, and I just fell in love with it. His family moved to the Midwest about a year later, and soon after that to Kansas City area. As a young teenager, Gutierrez stole a car one time to drive back to San Jose. Another time he robbed a person at gunpoint for bus money to make it back to California. But his family always brought him back to Kansas, where he stayed involved in gang life. In 1991, 16-year-old Gutierrez had a fight with a friend that turned deadly. He was convicted of first-degree murder in 1992. The only hope of seeing the sun beat on his face from outside of a prison wall would have to come through a parole board. From the very beginning, I mean, from as far back as I remember, I knew I was going to prison. I just knew I was. I mean, I grew up in a, in a gang member, and, and everyone I ever knew, as far as males, were all either gang member, drug addicts, 
womanizer, drug dealers. And I knew I was headed there. And when I, I remember when I got moved to the adult side, I was like, oh, this is what you signed up for. You know, and I was very scared. I mean, you're this little pimple faced kid and you're around a bunch of buff grown adults. They were it was just it's a very predatory environment, you know, and if you show any kind of any signs of weakness, you're they're going to get you. I had guys coming up telling you'll be all right. You're going to be with your people and which were the Mexicans. And I knew. I just knew. I mean, it's, I already had it in my mind. Whatever they asked me to do, whatever trouble, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do it. There's only one thing I knew how to do at that time, and that was be a gang member. Once I got in and the guys came up, and, you know, the Mexicans came up and talked to me and asked me if I was down. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. And my very first day in prison, we had a prison riot. There was a prison riot in the chow hall. And I tell you what, I remember it was so scary. And, and I was just fighting literally for my life. I was fighting for my life. And, and I guess I did pretty good because when we went to segregation, um, everyone was like, damn, little homie, you did good, man. You did real good. And, and where'd you learn how to fight? Well, it wasn't that I knew how to fight. It was just out of pure fear. I did not. I seen guys laying out on the floor, you know, busted lips. There was teeth. There was a guy stabbed. And, I what mean, prison are you at? In Lansing. Okay. Lansing Correctional Facility. And, and I was just like, oh, my God. I didn't want to be one of those guys there on the floor. His actions with the gang led him to isolation 22 times, once for more than three years. He passed time by drawing. It didn't take long before other gang members caught on to his artistic ability. And guys would see me draw all the time and they say, hey man, uh, do you know how to tattoo or anything? And I was telling everybody, yeah, that, that's what I do. And they came and they brought me a, a motor. They call them little Jolly Ranchers. They're little square motors that come out of DVD players. What they would do is they would go to a... Uh, any, anywhere like the education departments, the chaplain departments, and they'd steal their DVDs and take the motors out and bring them to me. And I tell you what, man, in prison, the overwhelming majority of everyone in there are in some kind of gang. Everybody, at least that live in that lifestyle, they all love tattoos. You can melt anything plastic, um, chess pieces, the dominoes, uh, the sporks, the plastic sporks and stuff, what you would do is you'd hold a piece of cardboard up, you'd light this piece of plastic on fire, and the soot comes up and sticks to, that, uh, to the cardboard. And once you get enough of that buildup on it, you just scrape it off into a little container, and then you'd use shampoo and toothpaste, and just, you know, you'd boil water to boil out the impurities, and, and then you'd make your own ink. As his status rose in the gang, he was able to get better supplies. I'll tell you what, in prison, you can get anything you want. Anything. And when I say anything, I mean anything. And they'd come up to me, and some of my friends would come up to me and said, hey, we're about to get a shipment of stuff in. Do you want anything? Basically having me put my order and see what I wanted. And I, I think I shocked everyone because everyone was expecting me to say drugs or alcohol. or, or And I said, no, the one thing I want is a tattoo Bible. What I wanted that for was I wanted I've always I used to watch shows like Ink Masters and Tattoo Nightmares and and I'd, and Miami Ink and stuff like that. And I'd be like, one day I hope to get out. And if I do, I want to be a professional. I don't know if I'll ever get that opportunity, 
and I wanted that tattoo Bible because it teaches you everything about being a true professional tattoo artist. If you want a tattoo for me, buy your own sewing kit from the canteen, from the commissary, and then bring it to me and we'll fix it all up for you. But that, that way, everyone has a little more security, a little more sense of like, okay, everything I just got for my setup is brand new. And I want to give people that sense of security. That and you get. use that needle from the sewing kit? Yeah, I'd use the needles from their sewing kits that they bought. And what do you attaching it to something to i'd use dental floss to hold it together and then i'd drop solder on it to hold them then i'd take the dental floss off and you have your your uh your needle configuration and then it's powered by this little motor and a battery uh -huh. a battery or sometimes and i tell you what i had a i had a little flat 13 inch flat screen tv that i had hooked up to run my tattoo machine and i and as I turned the volume up on my TV, the machine would go faster. I turned the volume down, it would go slower. I mean, we have nothing but time to figure stuff out. You know, and I'm not an electrician or anything of the sort. I've had my fans uh, run my tattoo machines, my radios, um, my TV. I mean, you just name it, we'd make it work. Guys are very, very good at doing what they do, and that's how they make their living in prison. If, you know, a guy's job would be to I would be telling them, hey, help me figure out how to use my volume control to turn my speed up and down and where it's not noticeable at all. If they come shake me down, they won't notice it. And I mean, some there's professional electricians in there, you know, and they'll make it happen. And the yeah. volume, does it still work? Oh, yeah, had... everything works. Oh, everything hey. works perfect. You know? And so, yeah, I mean, when you have nothing but time on your hands, we can make it happen. This is like the the place to hang out, isn't it? I mean, people oh, yeah. are coming in, watching tattoos. Guys are probably probably gambling next oh, to you. Oh yeah. I mean, you you're like you're the cell to be around. <laughs> a, a lot of guards, especially when I was doing my tattoos, there was a lot of the officers there that were pretty cool about it. So yeah, I mean, I'd always be blasting my music and tattoos, and everyone everyone wants to stop by and see what I'm doing next. And what I, you know, my next creation. And I don't know if you know how, about prison and cell phones. There's a lot of cell phones in there, a lot. So a lot of guys would just come by and videotape me. And I'd be like, man, you better get me off of that thing. I don't want to be on that thing. If you get busted, I don't want no part of it. But guys would take pictures of the tattoos I did for me and then send them. You know, I'd have them send them to my family. I mean, I've had guys come offer me just, you name it, any kind of drug, any kind of illegal contraband you can imagine. You for know, a tattoo. For a tattoo. Is there any conflict of you tattooing a another a different gang? Oh yeah. There's certain tattoos you just can't do. I can't do it. I couldn't do any opposite member gang tattoos. You can't do any like uh, white pride tattoos. Anything like that. Anything that had to do with someone's gang or someone's race or something. You you can't. You can get them killed. And I can. Get, I could have got myself hurt. What's the most ridiculous prison request, tattoo request you've ever gotten? 
Oh man, let me see. <laughs> this there was two guys. They were a couple. And they wanted they wanted each other's names tattooed on them and they got each other's names. It was crazy. They big old English letters on their necks like from this side of their neck all the way across. And they wanted these little unicorns at the end. And in a prison environment, that's not, it's not very manly, I guess you can say. So that was probably the, it was odd. I didn't, I felt weird about doing it for them, but that's what they wanted. And they weren't, they had no shame or anything. It was what they wanted. What was the most like intricate tattoo you've done or the most proud of one you, you've done in, when you were in prison? Uh, one of them that comes to mind right away. I have this Asian friend and uh, I did these giant koi fish on his back with lotus flowers inside and i think that was one of the more professional looking ones no one no one could believe that he got it done in prison and even when the 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 guards went over there to go look at him to they had him stripped down and and look at him they said no you didn't get that done in here you know and but he did it was me you know and I they're, was very proud of it. <laughs> they're not colored in, are they? Oh, yeah. You colored oh, yeah. in everything. i tell you what. Same when, process. Well, I so I get the black suit. So how are you? Well, here's the deal. When most people are busy doing their best to bring in drugs and tobacco and cell phones to the prison, I was asking for tattoo inks, that like the tattoo, anything that had to do with tattooing. Um, I've had someone sneak me in some disinfectants just to make sure that I was able to clean all my areas with it. Gutierrez said he tattooed corrections officers and counselors in his cell. And eventually, he even started teaching the competition. Everyone knew I tattooed. There was no hiding that. Everyone knew I tattooed. And I never got in trouble for it. Out of all those years, not one time did I ever get in trouble for it. But I was always... I was very, very aware, and I made it very clear that if I was going to be doing tattoos, that I was going to be the cleanest tattoo artist there is. And I used to tell people like this, look, you can go to Walmart, or you can come over here to Dillard's, buddy. <laughs> you know, and that was my little bit. You, I, and I used to tell guys, too, like, hey, I'm, you're just going to come over here and get it covered up by me anyway, so you might as well just come spend your money with me. And But, you know, once I got that tattoo Bible, I started going around teaching the other guys my little tricks and stuff. And, and one of my friends came and said, aren't you afraid that they're going to steal all your clients? And all? I said, no, if someone gets better at tattooing than me, then that means I'm not doing my job. So, you know, that I love that competition. I loved it. You know, and if anyone even came close to coming near doing a good tattoo, I would make sure to go out and do another tattoo that was 10 times as better. Just I've had all those years of practice where I didn't have social media. I didn't have Internet, Google or any of that stuff. If someone wanted something, it was up to you, me and my imagination to make it happen. We take our, our markers and I'll draw them someone's skin or I'll draw it on a piece of paper first and, and give them the option. If you like this, cool. And if you don't, maybe we can make some changes to it and stuff. And so I... I do a lot of custom work. So sometimes you just freehand right. it. Right. Sometimes okay. we just, there's guys in there that just want, they don't care what you tattoo them. They just want a tattoo. Really? Oh, yeah. Did and, you have like a go-to you'd always do? Um, What's your, what would be your like, uh, everyone, every artist I think has a few things they like doing. Right. Is there? It, it was uh, lettering and, and skulls. Everybody loves skulls in there. 
everyone loves skulls. You you could turn a skull into to be a morbid skull. You can turn it into a gangster skull. You could turn it into a uh, um, what are the sugar skulls. You could do a Day of the Dead skull. I mean, the skulls were. I love skulls, and I still love them now. Yeah, I have one on my hat right now. About 15 years into his life sentence, Guterres had had enough of the gang life. You know, some stuff I probably won't be able to tell you just, but um, I ended up having to, to, to get violated out, you know, and, and but I'd put in so much work. I did so much stuff in there that I didn't have to go to protective custody or anything like that. I was able to want population. I was able to just be me. I was still cool with everyone. Violated out. And it's where they jump you out. You know, I remember I went, I was pretty high up there. I was and I was pretty high in rank with within my people, and um, one of the things I remember telling the guys was just like, "Hey guys, I'm tired of it." I said, "You guys all get to go home. You guys make babies. You guys get married. You guys live their lives. You come in here. You start your crap. You go home, and I have to deal with this stuff all the time." I knew the consequences of it. You know, I'd been a part of it. You know, and so I was willing to accept those consequences. But I said, you know. All this stuff is worth it. I'll take whatever's coming to me because I know after I go through all that, it's just going to make me that much stronger. No, we're, we go off into an area where we know that there's not going to be any cops. And and, and I went in there willingly. To, I mean, I didn't want to see you don't them fight get back. Trouble. Oh, yeah. You yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm saying I, yeah, if the point is on, that you got to get beat to get yeah, and, and, out. And, I mean, it doesn't yeah. help you more if you hit somebody, I mean, does I'll it? Tell you what, but it's just it's just who I am. It's just yeah. who we are. You know, it's just you, you're taught to fight. You That's, have it after all that. I mean, is there still like a well, I know he's not really with us, but like, yeah, I mean, I, part of me, you know, my whole life I grew up with them and, and literally since I was 16 years old. I mean, I've, a lot of the guys we've become brothers. Fam- Some of the guys I love even more than my own family. We grew that close. I mean, we literally risked our lives for one another. We've done solitary confinement together. We suffered together. We enjoyed the good times together. I mean, there's bonds there. So, you know, breaking that and leaving that and people that you're dependent on, that you literally depended on to live, it's not the same no more. It, it's, it's difficult. It's just like, I don't know if you're close with your family members, but it's just like, hey, we're not going to talk that much no more. You're not going to be privy to this information no more. Or, you know, if there was times that they'd have meetings or something, I'd get a weird look. You know, I'd be like, all right, I'm out of here. I don't other, know. other gang members look at you? That I mean, are they like, oh, this guy's out on his own? I'm saying as far as yeah, like, they, they, yeah, are you a, a lot target? Of t- no, I, I was pretty good. Like I said, I was you, I was on a path of, of correcting myself. Like I used to teach classes in there. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew that. Uh, me and that it, it, I just wasn't the same person anymore everyone knew that I wanted a chance and I'm very grateful that nothing happened to me he called it the worst beating of his life over the next several years he graduated from 15 prison programs and even taught a few after more than 25 years Guterres was granted parole he imagined this moment a thousand times but the joy was short lived his younger brother was murdered and Guterres needed to give his eulogy 
before we went up there to the funeral, we were we went to my mom's house, and I remember watching her or just looking at her sitting on her bed, and she was just she was devastated. I'd never seen such hurt in someone's eyes and their face and their voice and just seeing my mom hurt. So my, the rest of my family as well, but my mom, especially my mom. Um, I'm trying not to choke up here. Um, it, it was very difficult. I was conflicted because here I'm looking at everything everyone's going through and I'm just thinking to myself, I did this to a family. I did this to someone. Guterres' work gained in popularity and his story brought him to different parts of the country. He now has his own tattoo shop in Hutchinson, called Redemption Inc. Tattoo. When working, his gloves cover the tattoo on his left hand, but only for a little while. I think about it all the time. It's something that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. A decision I made over a quarter century ago still affects me to this day, and it still affects my victim's family, my family. Um, it's never regardless if I made parole or if I'm forgiven, it's still going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. I always feel guilty. Sometimes, sometimes I still have nightmares that what I did to him, someone's doing to me. Maybe one day they'll find it in their hearts to, to forgive me. And if they don't, they have every right not to. Thanks for listening to Inside Prison Walls, a production of the Hutchinson News. We'll visit more insiders, so come back for more episodes. Learn more at hutchnews.com and follow Hutchinson News on Facebook and on Twitter.